You're listening to the Detroit is Different Podcast Network. Hello, welcome back to the Riverwise Podcast. This is your host, Kari Frazier, and I welcome you to learn more about social justice, advocacy, and activism from Detroit. But we also definitely care about everything that's happening in the world when it comes to equity and heightening the quality of life of all people, because that's what we stand for with Riverwise. And today is something very special. We have guests Muna Selah and Iman Selah of the Yemeni Liberation Movement. And they're going to talk to us about some of the things that are happening in Yemen and really how people from the metro Detroit area, Detroit, Dearborn, and other places are supporting the social justice efforts there right here in our own backyard. So first, hello, how are you both doing today? Hi, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you. All right. All right. So uh, please uh, introduce our listeners to the culture, the tradition and ethic of Yemeni people in the land. Can you tell us a little bit about women or people that are unaware. I mean, um, when you when people think of the Middle East, just in general, I mean, a lot of people just imagine uh, war, destruction, you know, like um, j- just bombings, blood, like uh, you know, refugees. You kind of have a really uh, graphic image of the Middle East, um, and that's far from, you know, that's far from what is, you know who we are as a people and, and as a nation. Um, you know, that's is so far from the truth. I mean, you know, besides the fact that these these wars are not normal, um, Yemen is a very beautiful country. Um, it's it it doesn't have very many tourism, um, but I mean, you have the oldest you know you have the oldest cities in the world in Yemen. Um, you mm-hmm. also have uh, yeah, you have these thousands thousand year old mud brick homes, um, and and uh, you know that the UNESCO heritage site. Um, has uh, has you know um, placed placed these uh, these cities in Yemen. Um, mm. You know it's it's a very beautiful agriculturally rich country, um, and you just it's very mountainous. It's a very beautiful mountainous region. So region so full of uh, culture and music, language, food. I mean it's it's a stunning stunning country. Um, and then not to mention there's a um, there's a very biodiverse. Uh, island right off the coast of Yemen um, called Sokotra Island uh, and you know you have flora and fauna and um, so many other things that only exist on that island too so Yemen is just so full of of richness and culture and heritage and history okay okay have uh, have you both traveled there or are familiar with family members that have traveled there yeah, I've traveled there. Um, like we, me and Muna, uh, we have, we remember so many fond memories of our summers uh, in Yemen. Yeah, with our family and um, visiting all those wonderful cities of Yemen. Yeah, the beaches, we would visit the beaches a lot. And the best part, honestly, is the food. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we would eat so much good food because the whole, the food there is very wholesome uh, and some of it's grown locally. Um, it's nothing like American food here, like where you, you get all your organic produce and organic meats and, and it's just naturally how it is over there. 
Okay, so so this tie is directly into your family, and this really kind of answers the uh, kind of some of the questions moving forward about your ties to this. Uh, yeah. But the Yemeni Liberation Movement, uh, what's the history of this organization? How did it come about? Yeah, so we started um, last year. We uh, we felt like we needed to. Well, I've personally been organizing for Yemen. Uh, for a little bit longer than that, but we needed, we realized that we needed a space uh, for Yemenis here in Michigan, because uh, there's a huge population of Yemenis here. Um, and also we needed some strong grassroots movement happening uh, from Yemeni youth uh, and Yemeni voices here in, in Michigan that we could, uh, you know, use as a, as an extension of the voices of the people in Yemen. Um, and so we created Yemeni Liberation Movement last year, um, and since then we've we've held you know we've done a lot of amazing actions, um, you know through the safety of quarantine um, and also through social distancing. We had um, a two-day protest in Hamtramck uh, to protest against the Saudi arms deal that was under the Trump administration at the time, um, and also to restore humanitarian aid. Um, we had a, a huge fundraiser fundraiser for, from um, a gentleman who reached out to us who was traveling across country on his bike. And so we raised a dollar for every mile. So he uh, traveled for 5,000 miles. So we were trying to raise $5,000, but we actually ended up raising twice as much as that because his post went viral on Twitter. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, and then we have, we've had movie nights too, where we, can talk more about the people of Yemen and humanize our culture, our people. Um, and then as of recently, our hunger strike. Hmm. Okay. And, and you touched on this in traveling, but uh, your family is from there as, as both of you are sisters. I didn't leave with that information, yeah. but uh, along with uh, your sister, uh, what's your family's ties there? Uh, and I'm guessing that, was really one of the key catalysts in support of the activism and advocacy with the Yemeni liberation movement, correct? Right. Yeah. I mean, like, you know, our mom, my, our mom's whole side is over there. So, um, you know, our, our closest family members are actually from our mother's side uh, and they're all in Yemen. Um, mm-hmm. so yeah, I mean, like you could say like, yeah, this was definitely, but I mean, I feel like, I don't know if it would, might've made a difference if I didn't have family there. Um, because you mm-hmm. know, I, I am Yemeni and we live in diaspora, um, and there'll never be like a sense of belonging for us here in the States. Um, uh, but we always know that we have claim, we have heritage to, you know, um, to our people in Yemen. But yeah, I mean, you know, at, uh, about a week, a week and a half into our hunger strike, we found out that our great uncle in Yemen uh, died from COVID um, and he was mm. robbed of this fighting chance. Um, and so it, mm. it's just, it is very personal. It hits very close to home. Um, and these were people that we, we have such fond memories with. So in, in building this, uh, the support and the advocacy uh, through activism, uh, this is something that, began last year so this is still something so new uh what what was the catalyst to make it more organized is uh you said you've definitely been fighting for social justice in so many other ways what what made you say all right it's time to create an organization specifically for this cause yeah i mean um well 
when we talk about like diaspora, right? You, you know, there's so many um, there's so many factors that play into like our sense of belonging um, and what our homeland what our homelands mean to us um, here, you know, wherever we live. Um, and one of those things that uh, one of those things that I was always frustrated, even as a child growing up, was that there was no safe space for Yemenis or even Arab youth or Black and Brown youth um, to be able to like talk and unite on these issues that plague our our homelands, right? And so um, some of these spaces that we've seen, like that I remember in the past, are like a lot of religious places um, or schools. Um, you know, that can be not as safe for, for youth. And so, uh, like Yemeni Liberation Movement was really created um, as, as uh, to fill this void within our community and also even abroad um, where Yemenis in Yemen or in other countries could, you know, reach out and like talk to us about, you know, these similar issues that they're dealing with uh, wherever they are living. Uh, and so, um, you know, you, we work with, like, for example, the Palestinian youth movement and their um, their struggles, uh, their struggles have been have been ongoing and they've been able to unite and grow stronger together uh, through their struggles and also at the same time advocate, uh, you know, for their agenda. And so, you know, within in terms of Yemenis, we've we've had such a rich history of um, kicking out colonialism in imperialism that is that's become forgotten that's you know has kind of just never been put at the forefront of our of our history of our people's history and it's something that I'm very proud of and so um, it was kind of just a place where we could educate like who we are as a people how strong we are and what our roles are you know even as women what our roles are in in this political um, this political fight that you know we were all kind of forced into over the last six years of this war. Okay, and this is unique and, and dynamic, yeah. uh, right. being that uh, this building has come about and you've also introduced so many more people to the culture. What type of support have you gotten here mm -hmm. in this Metro Detroit area? Uh, in yeah, Detroit, I mean, in and Dearborn? Yeah, of course, like, it's a good question because we've been um, like, we've been organizing for like, uh, like over the summer, we've done a lot of work with Detroit Will Breathe um, and a lot of other black organizations as well, 313 Liberation Zone um, movement for uh, black okay. lives. So we've, um, we've always been um, making sure that we're in tune with our community, but especially last year where we've, um, where we've done a lot of work and really tried to make sure that we're focusing uh, what our Arab communities or how our Arab communities are impacting Black communities, um, and what we can do to, um, to you know, unite our struggles and and also uh, fight towards Black liberation as well as our liberation. So yeah, it's um, like you know, it's, it's like especially in uh, Yemeni communities, you have a lot of business owners uh, who kind of operate out of these Black neighborhoods, um, and you know, a lot of these people are are from Yemen, you know, they might've just come from Yemen and they, they don't understand these nuances of racism, how it, how it works out in, in America and, and um, what, what our decisions and choices, how they have an impact on the communities that they're working in. 
Um, and so, you know, we, we try to raise awareness on that. And, and we're also continuously to work, continuously working towards um, building the, those bonds of trust. Uh, we are still pretty young. So we have, uh, we have quite a bit of work ahead of us, but we're kind of slowly but surely, in, you know, inching our way towards um, impacting more people. And a lot of people have been impacted even nationally and even and, and also locally um, within the Metro Detroit area. I mean, um, I've been getting a lot of messages of support of these organizers, so many organizers who um, felt like our action really woke them up. Um, and I think it's because a lot of times when we're organizing in these spaces, we have a lot of meetings, we talk a lot about things, we analyze a lot about things, um, but, but what actions, like what, okay, so now we've done all the talk, but where, wh when are we gonna do the walk? When are we gonna actually put, you know, boots on the ground? Um, you know, when are we gonna do all the work that needs to happen to actually move our ideas forward? Um, and that's really how the hunger strike happened. You know, it was started as an idea and, and talk. Um, and, you know, obviously this is not a simple task, you know, this is a, a hunger strike and not even a hunger strike in, in our home state, but in, in, in a completely different state. So now, we had to not only organize for support here in, in Michigan, but also work towards building those bridges in Washington, D.C., where we eventually did um, the hunger strike. And, uh, you know, and not everything has to be planned out, too. Right. Because like when we're organizing and I see this a lot in organizing spaces that every single thing needs to be planned out to a T, you know, and I think that in some cases that that needs to happen. But in so many others you know, when we're trying to reach this, um, reach, reach this uh, level with our communities and, um, you know, get on, get on their, their playing field, um, all this planning, all this, uh, all these details can be really overwhelming and really just hold you back from the work. Um, and so, you know, we did the best that we could within the time constraints that we had. Um, and even though not everything was planned out to a T, we, we still feel like this was a very successful um, action. So when you speak about this action for our listeners, uh, there was a hunger strike uh, led by the Yemeni Liberation Movement uh, with Muna and Iman and, and others in support. And this hunger strike is because uh, currently uh, it's a genocide going on from mm -hmm. Saudi Arabia that's attacking the people of Yemen uh, through a blockade and the United States government is supporting this. Uh, right. Many people are aware that the United States government has a relationship with Saudi Arabia, that uh, whereas uh, the Saudi government uh, and some of the leadership there uh, have, uh, have not just um, changed the quality of life of people of Yemen, but throughout other regions of the Middle East. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and this hunger strike action is a monumental action and it definitely was eye-opening as it, it's brought about attention uh, from Riverwise Magazine and other outlets. But can you please give more of a scope of what's happening in Yemen and the ways that Saudi Arabia, uh, the government there, the leadership there has, uh, has yeah. changed the quality of life of the people there. Yeah, I mean, um, so if you want to talk about like uh, what Saudi Arabia has done 
to the region, we can, that's, that could be, you know, that could be a whole other thing on its own. Um, and even in Yemen too, I mean, uh, Saudi Arabia has routinely intervened um, on Yemen's politics for decades. Uh, mm -hmm. You know, anytime Yemen wanted to seek liberation uh, and sovereignty for itself, um, you know, Saudi Arabia, uh, like back in the 60s, would um, train British soldiers to squash the rebellion and it worked. Um, and, uh, you know, and, and then it happened again when um, the when North and South Yemen uh, were unified, um, Saudi Arabia continued to intervene to um, to kind of squash any type of uh, like civil unrest uh, on that um, because it was in Saudi Arabia's best interest to make sure that they have their figurehead in office and which they've done and you know for almost 40 years where they've had the president um, become their figurehead uh, for Saudi's affairs. So just a little bit of background. Um, Saudi Arabia transports their oil through the Straits um, of Yemen. So there's a, there's a Strait Canal right right on Yemen called Bab el Mandeb, where they transport almost five million five million barrels of oil a day. Um, mm. And so it's a very uh, it's a very uh, it's very geopolitical um, the region. Uh, and mm. so when uh, when the Arab Spring happened. Um, Yemen wanted to find their own, you know, their own form of liberation and democracy um, because the, their president has been winning uh, every election uh, by 99% of the vote. And so uh, it was, you know, the people knew it was time uh, for, for change for their country, just as they've seen it, you know, with Egypt and Tunisia, you know, they thought maybe it was their time. And so um, when they've successfully kicked out the president, that's when he fled to uh, Saudi Arabia, um, and then in their place, the VP, I'm sorry, I'm getting all into the politics of it, but essentially, uh, you know, um, Saudi Arabia launched, you know, launched a war against Yemen after their figurehead was kicked out of office. Um, and uh, this was only supposed to last two weeks, according to um, the documents we've been reading, was that this is a decisive storm, um, you know, meaning that it was just supposed to last for two weeks. But here we are now going in six years, um, mm -hmm. and the war continues with the United States, uh, not only you know being complicit, but with their utmost support, militarily, logistically, um, uh, with every kind of you know weapons, uh, weapon sales, and not even just weapon sales, but parts for their weapons. You know, like um, mm -hmm. like a good example is if um, if if they if their fighter jet needs a needs a spare tire, the United States is there. If they need um, if they need gas like air refueling, you know the United States yeah. is there. The, the they have been it, they supply seventy five percent of the Saudis' weapons, um, mm. you know, and then all the other suppliers are the UK, Canada, um, Spain, and, and a few other countries. So, yeah, it's it's been um, uh, it's been absolutely cruel, specifically in these last few months, where um, the Saudis are kind of engaged in this losing battle. Um, but instead of just kind of ending the war, they're now they've now decided to implement a fuel blockade. And a lot of people don't really uh, can't you know don't really think of famine and the fuel blockade um, you know uh, being sort of like the cause and effect. But without fuel, you can't transport food and other necessities. You can't transport medicine. Uh, you can't power homes uh, or hospitals. And so what we've seen over the last few few months since. 
uh, December was when the fuel blockade was implemented, uh, is that now there's uh, 16 million people, that's over half the country, um, who are being starved and over 22 million people out of the 30 million in Yemen who require humanitarian aid to continue to survive. Um, and then specifically children um, are experiencing the worst kind of famine because they're more vulnerable. Uh, they're experiencing severe malnutrition. So um, more children are entering into these hospitals for severe malnutrition and chronic malnutrition. Uh, but these hospitals, which is about 51% of them can't operate because there's no fuel to run their generators. And so now that, you know, now these, inf these health infrastructures, which were already compromised um, are, are, are being overwhelmed um, with not only children, but not even being able to care for these children. And so um, it's, it's really horrific. Every 75 seconds, a child dies of starvation because of this blockade. And this is a completely man-made humanitarian crisis. This is a completely man-made um, famine. Okay, so essentially, this is this is America's involvement um, from the whole concept that right. was always uh, given, uh, spreading democracy or the American way internationally, which uh, looks and has been, from my opinion, and I think many people that support this podcast and the magazine, known as like a Cold War effort because mm -hmm. uh, giving arms, uh, giving resources mm -hmm. to, uh, to nations engaged in battle uh, changes the outcome, especially if people are fighting for their liberation. And, and I can only imagine what it's like for those soldiers that are still engaged in this battle uh, and, and what that can be like in, the, in their hearts and minds uh, looking for equity and freedom uh, mm -hmm. from from oppression and tyranny, uh, right. which the the I guess the layers of, of understanding this relationship in America. You said this was going to be a two week effort, but now this effort has gone on for years, correct? Right, and it, sh it shouldn't have even happened in the first place. I mean, why why are we like living in the state of the world where we feel like? other countries have the right to intervene on a country's behalf. You know, like how, how would we feel if China just intervened on our racism issue <laughs> in America? Like how would we feel if like, you know, I don't know, like the UK just inter just sent soldiers here, you know, and just, and just like caused havoc bombing our homes. And how would we feel? I mean, we, we could never imagine that happening in the United States. But yet we just sit here and watch it, ha watch the United States do it to other countries. Um, how is this acceptable? Like it, it, not even talking about Yemen anymore. Like, we're, you know, we can talk about Iraq, Afghanistan. How is this? How is this even an acceptable thing? Why, why are we allowing this to happen? And, you know, this is this is how we're bringing the United struggle front in this. Right. Because, it, you know, oppression is happening everywhere, either at the hands of the police or, you know, the uniform of the police or the uniform of a, of a soldier, you know, to me, it's the same thing. It's just, we don't hear the cries as loud as we, when we hear it here in the United States, but to me, it's the same thing. And uh, that's what makes this region so unique because it is such a rich connection to uh, 
the people of the Middle East uh, mm-hmm. here in the Metro Detroit area. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's why I also was very clear when I speak to the, the Saudi Arabian government and leadership, mm-hmm. not necessarily being the Saudi Arabian people. Uh, right because the people may definitely be staunchly against this the same way that me as an American, Mm -hmm. I'm against the American effort supporting something like that. Uh, And and from this stance being here uh, and those connections, uh, what what have been some of the conversations you've had with people from Saudi Arabia about this? Uh, What what has been their stance? What what do you think the people there are 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 doing to influence their government as well against something like this have you found yeah. that <laughs> i mean uh, uh okay well there are um you know this this might not be what everybody wants to hear but there are a lot of people who who when they do speak on this issue they're ex- they're actually speaking for the saudi government and that's wow. because if you speak against the saudi government you're obviously going to be in trouble and so people are really stuck you know, in a spot. And whenever, yeah, whenever we talk about these issues, we're, we're only talking about um, the Saudi government specifically, um, the family of Al Suad. Um, and yeah, they, they've been, like, I like to call them a client of the United States. They've been a very uh, good client to the United States. And um, that's why it's, it's really important for the U.S. to continue supporting Saudi against against all atrocities, despite all the atrocities um, that you know the Saudi government has has done to its people, to journalists, to millions of people, you know, millions of people in Yemen, and um, yeah, it's it's kind of uh, it's funny, right? Because when we do hear from um, you know the UAE, for example, or um, you know Saudi Arabia, um, people from Saudi Arabia, it's it's for support. And obviously you're going to have that, you know, in any kind of, with any kind of people, right? Like there's always going to be the supporters and there's always going to be those that are against it. Um, And the ones that who are supporting the Saudi government are saying things like, um, well, the Saudi government donates the most amount of money to Yemen, you know, and it's just really funny because we don't want your donations. We just, we want you to stop Mm -hmm. bombing us, Um, you know, or they'll say, say things like, you know, Saudi Arabia has always supported Yemen, um, but that's not true. They've never supported, you know. So we don't, we don't want these empty, empty words and um, and things like that. And, and mo- most of the time, we don't even engage in it. Um, but there are a lot of people who who are com- who are able to comfortably speak out, who uh, are totally supporting our actions, supporting what we're doing, um, and and also the efforts on the ground here locally in in Michigan, what we're doing for the Yemeni people here. So with this. With this relationship between America and Saudi Arabia, specifically uh, dealing with what's happening in Yemen now through this blockade uh, of fuel not being given, um, what was uh, what can be done? Uh, you you all led a hunger strike, which is which is a powerful action. What can we do? Just as as people listening to this podcast and. The citizens here. How do we help? How do we how do we support this effort to bring about change? Yeah, I mean, well, the this the blockade is still not over. You know, it's it's continuing. It's, it, it continues as we speak, and the more pressure. So you know, um, over the last few weeks of our hunger strike, uh, we've put a tremendous amount of 
pressure, you know, um, and, and they felt it and opened, uh, opened the port just a little bit to let some fuel tanks in. Um, it's not nearly enough to obviously run an entire country, but like they, they did feel the pressure. And so that's what we need. We need people to support our action because we're not expecting everybody to understand all the politics of mm-hmm. Yemen and what's going on in, in, you know, with the U S and Saudi relationship. Um, but we, what we do know how to do is build trust with communities. And we do know, um, uh, we do know what we need, uh, which is support and amplifying our voices, um, sending a letter to your uh, Congress member and also, um, you know, signing our petition and just in rate and continuing to help us raise awareness. You know, we've, we've actually gotten this question a lot during our hunger strike and a lot of people wanted to do more. They wanted to really help out. Um, but you know, it's really, really just as simple as sharing our action because one of the, one of a a huge obstacle we ran up against during our hunger strike was that we were being shadow banned. Um, and it wasn't like any kind of light banning. It was a super hard, shadow ban um we we would have definitely went we would have we would have went viral multiple times and went um we would have gotten a lot more attention internationally had the shadow ban not been in place um and that's because you know um mohammed bin salman the crown prince of saudi arabia um did a tour a few years ago in the united states and he visited silicon valley uh where you know um talked about to repress yemen content um and so it's, it's, that's why people don't really know what's happening in Yemen because um, when, you know, when they do hear about it, it's only under the agenda of, of Saudi Arabia. Um, and that's another thing that happens too, is that journalists can't enter to talk about Yemen unless they're approved by the Saudi government. Um, and you're only approved by the Saudi government if you, if you write for their agenda. Um, and so when we do hear about it, it's, it's always, you know, reasons to continue the war. Um, and never about the people who are suffering through this. Um, and so we really need, um, you know, we have ears on the ground on this. So we really need people to reach out to us. Um, and if they have questions, they can ask us questions as to why, you know, um, you know, ways to support. But really, it's, it's really honestly as simple as sharing our action, writing a letter to your congressperson um, and, you know, signing a petition and, and also following us on social media. Um, where we like are constantly putting out information, educating people, and we also update people on our on our next action. So it's on. We're on Instagram and Twitter and Facebook mm-hmm. under Yemeni Liberation Movement. So that's Y E M E N I Liberation Movement. Okay, Yemeni Liberation Movement. Look for yep. that. Uh, and and when you say share the action, I'm guessing the action is there and the letter is also are they available through yeah. social media how do people get access to it oh that's a good question okay yeah because I, I should have mentioned that so um in all of our bios we have our link tree um, and that links everybody to uh if you just click on it it'll, it'll give you a bunch of uh, a few options that i just mentioned um and all of this really takes less than like five minutes so um one of them is writing a letter to your congressperson and all it is is just putting in your in you don't even have to write the letter you just put in your information and, and uh, you know where you are, where you're from, and it'll automatically send a drafted letter to your congressperson in, that represents you. Um, okay. So there's that, and then uh, on the, on the same link, it has the petition, um, and also like if you follow us too and keep your notifications on, uh, you'll see our upcoming action. So the strike 
uh, just ended. Um, but we are definitely not done with the work. We'll be back in DC soon. Um, and we'll definitely need more support with that moving forward. Okay. So anybody, remember, if you're listening, look for Facebook and Instagram, Yemeni Liberation Movement. That's Y-E-M-I-N-I Liberation Movement. Oh, it's make, sure you Yemeni. Go, make sure you support that that page. But what were you going to say? Sorry, it was, um, it's spelled Y-E-M-E-N-I. Okay, I messed that up. So yeah, <laughs> sorry. That's everybody up. Y-E-M-E-N-I. Y-E-M-E-N-I. So make sure you support that. Make sure you support that. Make sure you support that. If you are listening to this, uh, take that action. She said it's less than five minutes. So all you got to do you know, you're scrolling Instagram anyway, you're listening to the podcast as soon as you finish your workout or however you're podcasting right now, <laughs> waking up, uh, get to that, get to that support because that's the social justice action that you can lead, especially being that both of you all took on a hunger strike. What was that like? How did you, uh, how did you prepare yourself for it? Uh, what support did you get throughout the hunger strike? And and, and what uh, what were your emotions? What were what were your thoughts during that? So um, I I believe everyone kind of had the same idea. We uh, for before we started the hunger strike, we kind of tried to get used to not eating as much. That way, when we did um, go full on hunger strike, it would be a little bit easier for us and our bodies. Um, but the first few days were definitely the hardest. Um, they hit the hardest. We we were all out of energy. Um, we, you know, had trouble like getting up in the morning. We had trouble staying focused on tasks. We had trouble, um, you know, getting from place to place um, because, you know, just walking for 10 minutes could tire you out. Um, mm -hmm. But it was, it was great that we had um, a lot of support um, from other members that, that weren't able to do the hunger strike. So they helped us out with transportation and, you know, moving things from one place to another for us, which is wonderful. Um, but yeah, the hunger strike, that was definitely one of the hardest things I've ever had to do. Um, and I'm, and I'm grateful to be able to do it and, and to demonstrate, you know, how hard it is to be without food, uh, you know, for, you know, we only did it for 20, 24 days, but, you know, people in Yemen have, have gone weeks or excuse me, not weeks, but months without food and, you know, days without eating or drinking. And, you know, it's, it's, sorry, it's, it's really hard to imagine. Mm -hmm. It's hard it's for tough. us to, it's tough. Mm -hmm. yeah. And even <clears throat> I like to always just talk about the privilege that we've had, even going, being able to go through the hunger strike with the safety of, you know, of where we were, we didn't have to worry about air raids, you know, bombing our home. Mm -hmm. We didn't have to, we, if we wanted to eat, we could easily just walk down, you know, anywhere and grab something to eat, you know? So we, we didn't even have that extra level of added stress on us when, as we went through this hunger strike. And we always want to make sure we mention that because if it's, if it's hard, just as we are now, I can't imagine, you know, having these extra obstacles and, um, these stressors to, to deal with that as well. Um, yeah. and like, yeah, one, one of the things I did was like shave my head. Like I had to, I felt like, 
I needed to have, you know, make it a little bit easier for me because I have curly hair. So I felt like I needed, when I didn't shave her head, obviously, <laughs> but I, I felt like mm-hmm. shaving my head would be an easier way to go through this hunger strike. Okay. Uh, and this is all um, definitely um, informative and, and I'm hoping that people definitely pulled from this information uh, and, and pulled from watching those actions through that hunger strike, what type of support were you all gaining uh, during the hunger strike? Mm. Yeah. yeah, I mean, we got, we had an intense amount of community support. Uh, we had so many organizations that um, stood, you know, put out statements and stood with us um, from all over the world, like we've, you know, um, but mostly in the United States where they didn't even understand what the blockade was. Um, but then after learning about it, they, um, you know, so, so many organizations that um, educated their communities and their people on that. And then, and then after that, you know, we, we started receiving a huge amount of support from Congress people. So we had Ilhan Omar um, support us, Rashida Tadeb, um, Corey Bush, um, uh, Jayapal, uh, Ro Khanna, you know, we had so much support from Congress people. Um, so that really helped us bolster our actions as well. Okay. And, and with this, um, as you continue going to DC uh, and traveling, um, that's something you just mentioned. What's going to be the next future effort uh, that you all see and what you're working on organizing? Uh, and with those efforts, are you looking for more people to join the organization uh, or give to the organization? What, what, what's next? Yeah. So, um, so our next right now, uh, we're just kind of taking a short break and also at the same time, kind of just re-strategizing and re and analyzing everything that we've done and how it's been, um, perceived by the government, by the Biden administration. Um, and so we're going to just sort of assess and figure out exactly what our next move should be as, as news comes out, um, uh, and so we're going to uh, definitely put some more pressure because that's that's what we need to be doing right now is, is putting on more pressure. Um, and exactly how we're going to do that, we haven't decided yet. We're still kind of just talking about it and um, breaking down everything that we've done and, and what we can do differently next time. Um, so, uh, you know, this blockade is still going on. If people want to join our efforts, um, we would love to, yeah, we would love to have this the support. I mean, one of the beautiful things that people were sending us that we didn't even ask was art. Um, people were sending us art of our action. Um, and we thought, wow, this was, you know, this art is so beautiful. We should do an auction um, and uh, use that money to continue supporting our grassroots effort. And so we did a call out for submissions and people sent, sent us art and it was beautiful. Um, mm. And so if people want, if people have creative ways of contributing to the movement, uh, we would absolutely welcome that. I mean, Everybody has a role in this in some some way. It's it's not always necessarily being on the front lines um, or organizing. Um, it could be doing outreach. It could be you know helping us with connections. It could be um, you know doing community, uh, you know reaching out, going door to door, whatever it is. There's so many. It's, everybody has a role, um, and if people feel like they they can have a role in this movement, um, please reach out to us on any of our social media pl- platforms or our email. Um, I don't know if I can send you the email, um, if that helps at all, but yeah, our best way to contact us is through social media. 
just send us okay. a direct message. Okay. So with that, I believe that uh, we got out the information. Uh, we let people know what the efforts are. I don't know what else you all would like to share. I definitely want you all to give uh, the contact information again. And on behalf of Riverwise and just myself, um, you know, I'm, I'm sending prayers up for you and your, and your family, your people and this effort um, so that justice is served and, uh, and brought about for your people. Uh, but uh, is there anything else you would like to share? Um, I think one last thing that I always like to bring up too is that um, this idea of a hunger strike, people say it's it's a nonviolent form of protesting or uh, it's um, peaceful, you know, or whatever, whatever Gandhi said. Um, and it's just not, it's just not true. Uh, like being to hunger strikes, being starved is such a violation of the body. You know, I like, uh, and I know Mona agrees with me on this, but when we, we were just not, when we weren't eating, um, you know, we weren't be, being forcibly starved, but even just doing this on our own choice, it felt so violating. Um, it felt so violent um, because, you know, it's, it's like one of our most basic needs as human beings, right, is to drink water and eat. And to have that stripped from you um, is just so extremely dehumanizing and so shameful. It just felt so violating. And um, to be backed up into a corner to, and to have to use hunger strikes as your last, your last effort, your last conviction in this movement. Um, what kind of violent, you know, violent means had to have happened for somebody to, to put themselves in this situation, you know? So yeah, when we're pro when we're hunger striking, it's nonviolent, but nonviolent to who exactly? Because this is extremely violent, you know, for us. It's it's extremely disheartening to know that this genocide is going on and for the US to actively deny that it's even happening. And it, it means a lot that you're um, you know, bringing awareness and, and supporting the cause to to end the blockade on Yemen and to, you know, basically end the genocide. Right. Yeah. Because it basically tells the United States that like, you know, even though the United States is denying supporting this blockade and the people, but the people are saying that no, there, there is a blockade. Like we're, we're, we're cutting through your lives. It just adds more pressure to the, to the government. And, you know, like, like we've all, we're, we're all very familiar with how the United States likes to lie. Um, we don't have we don't have trust in the government. Um, and so it's it's really opening up people's eyes to, you know, what, what they're doing. But, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the traditions here uh, in history does not hold well when it comes to, um, you know, uh, being balanced and fair mm -hmm. when it comes to dealing mm -hmm. with uh, with people uh, from the lens of uh, what's international and sadly usually it's for it's for you know what can be monetized as you said uh, Saudi Arabia functions in some ways as a client but definitely as a nation that uh, the leadership of Saudi Arabia like many other uh, nations leaderships and governments have uh, have have profited from um, mm -hmm from different resources, uh, 
being exploited from different nations as opposed to actually, you know, hiding a, heightening a uh, social justice and equity and, and, and just better, better living for, for people. Uh, so with that being said, I would love for you all to give uh, the information about the organization one more time uh, so that people have that as we close out and uh, on the podcast. Yeah, sure. So um, best way to reach out is on our social media. We're on Instagram, Twitter and Facebook. Um, and if you don't have either, if you don't have either one of these, I can give you I'll give the um, the email. But. Uh, we're on all three under Yemeni Liberation Movement. So that's Y-E-M-E-N-I, Liberation Movement. Um, and that's also our email. So Yemeni Liberation Movement at gmail.com. Um, so yeah, you can find us on all three social media platforms. Okay. Thank you. Thank you so much. Uh, you know, prayer, support, and uh, we'll, we'll look to you know, follow up with this matter through the podcast or through blogging, uh, maybe in about six months, see where things are. Uh, if not, anything yeah. big happens even sooner. Sure. Yeah. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. All right. Thank you. Thank you.